Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times, data with the only professional wrestling podcast taking you from the 9-9 to the 2000s. That's right, Getting Over is back with your supersized Wednesday Night Wars edition of the show as NXT, the Great American Bash, goes head-to-head with AEW Fighter Fest a special edition of Dynamite this Wednesday night one of a two-week extravaganza for Wednesday night pro wrestling in these United States of America and folks it started out with a bang we are going to get to all of that momentarily but first I gotta tell you folks I am absolutely floored floored with the contributions that you all made to this podcast I posted on Twitter as soon as I noticed that we eclipsed our short goal that I mentioned on Tuesday, and it happened just after a couple hours when the show went on the air. Despite that tweet, everything kept rolling in. So we stand far beyond the total of money that I requested to kind of help keep the show afloat, allow us to pay some of our fees and get some equipment so much that I'm actually reconsidering exactly what I'm going to spend it on to the point that, you know, I was kind of going for some low to mid-level equipment. Now I'm starting to think about higher level equipment so that getting over sounds as pristine as the product actually is. Look, when I told you, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. I did not expect it to be this level of markdom. Uh, So like I said, we completely covered our fees to this point. So everything that I have shelled out for this show to date has now been covered, which is absolutely incredible. And I probably have a couple of months headway as well. I've already ordered a new filter. uh, So the audio starting as soon as Amazon decides to deliver it next week, maybe the week after should sound clear as soon as it arrives. Um, But from an equipment standpoint, now I'm thinking about higher quality units. uh, And I'm going to do another week of research to kind of figure out what I want to get, how it might sound in the current room I'm in. I'm in a small office So there is some echoing. There is some other issues that I try to filter out uh, in post-production every week. Nevertheless, uh, I'm going to see, you know, that I get the best possible equipment so the show sounds as good as it can. One unfortunate note is through my research, I have found that an integrated soundboard may not actually be possible with the microphone in the current setup I have. I may, however, be able to buy an app or some software that increases that functionality. So I'm researching it. I'm going to get the best that I can possibly get with what you guys have contributed to the show. And like I said, things are going to sound as good as I can possibly make them, given the setup right now. For those of you who contributed more than $10, I immensely appreciate it. And I'm going to read everyone's names on Tuesday's show that did contribute. But for those that contributed more than 10 please be sure to tweet or DM me with your name and the amount that you contributed so I can ensure that you get the bonus content. I mentioned a private chat. I also mentioned, you know, being able to pick some segments on the show or, or maybe throw in some pay-per-views for pay-per-view rewind. I want to make sure that everyone gets their money's worth. But through Venmo, I don't have any more information than your name. I don't have a way to contact you. So please make sure you take that next step. Reach out to me either on Twitter via DM. You can also email the podcast if you want. Getting over pod at gmail. So if you don't have Twitter or you don't feel like tweeting, hit us up at gettingoverpod at gmail.com. But for those of you that do have Twitter, you can follow us at gettingovercast. And of course, you can follow me, the Silver King, at Silverstein Adam. So you all have my appreciation and you all have my great thanks. And with that, it is time to talk professional wrestling. And guess what? We're in a ratings war, ladies and gentlemen. We sure are, MJF, NXT, The Great American Bash, and AEW Fighter Fest went head-to-head Wednesday to give us just an incredible four hours of wrestling. I watch them back-to-back, so for me, I just sat there in front of my TV for four hours and was thrilled. If I'm going to break it down, I think the best way I can do it is this. There are weeks where AEW is better than NXT. There's weeks that NXT is better than AEW. But for a four-hour combination of wrestling programming, I don't think we've gotten four hours better in a single night than we did on Wednesday. NXT probably hit an 8 out of 10. AEW probably hit a 7 out of 10. I mean, 
very minimal difference. And then we look ahead to next week and we see four more hours of great professional wrestling. And folks, Wednesday night is just the night for wrestling right now. I know that the audience on Wednesday is only around 1.4 million where you're still almost at two on, on Mondays and you're a little bit over two on Fridays. So, you know, it's, it's split up between two shows and two brands. And I know that it's not, wrestling's not as popular as it used to be, certainly, um, with the American audience. But you can make an argument that the in-ring quality of wrestling that we're getting on Wednesdays, and especially that we got this past week, is better than it has ever been before. So just absolutely thrilled with what we got Wednesday. And I do have to start somewhere here. You know, I got to start NXT or AEW. I am going to anticipate that I will end up starting the show with AEW next week. It's a more loaded card. It is their premiere night of Fighter Fest. So because of that, I'm going to go ahead and start with NXT, the Great American Bash this week. And again, we'll see if AEW actually lives up to that next week or not. But that is my expectation at this time. So when you start off with the Great American Bash, you really have to look at the set. It looked amazing. They kept it simple with a couple classic American cars. It is tough to kind of call the Dodge Viper a classic car, but I mean, it has been around for 20 years at this point. The Corvette surely is, though. That red Corvette looked awesome. Uh, the full screen graphic was really cool, and the logo that they ultimately created for Great American Bash, I think they came out with it in the middle of last week or so. Just fantastic, man. That is a top-tier NXT logo design along the lines with some of their takeovers in the past. Uh, the 4th of July-esque balloons, the pillars of balloons in the corners were pretty cool, and the sparklers to open the show were nice, just because it's something that we haven't really seen from WWE in the empty arena setting. We've gotten some smoke occasionally, we get the lasers, but they haven't gone so far with any type of pyro. I guess they decided that that type of pyro inside of uh, Full Sail is safe enough to use. So was really happy to see that. And of course, the red, white, and blue ring ropes, just classic for Great American Bash. Just a really nice touch. So between Great American Bash and In Your House, NXT has absolutely been crushing the design aspect. And to a point that it's better than WWE has even done for its main roster pay-per-views, perhaps with the exception of WrestleMania. But for the other ones, I very much enjoyed what NXT has done for In Your House and for Great American Bash. The one thing I did notice... There were a couple parts that were a little bit sloppy. Uh, on the side of the Dodge Viper, there's just a black NXT Great American Bash sticker. They had an old WWE scratch logo Great American Bash banner, that huge white banner on the left side of your screen that had still had the WWE logo, the scratch logo on it. They just pasted a big black NXT over it. You know, I get what they were doing. They had to, you know, do as much design as they possibly could as quickly as they could because... I mean, it most likely was a little bit rushed in terms of a uh, production standpoint. But nevertheless, it looked really good. And it felt like the Great American Bash. It felt like they were paying off the name rather than just calling the show something to compete with AEW. So I got to give them kudos. But you know where we have to start here. We got to start with Io Shirai versus Sasha Banks in a non-title match main event. So they gave us 17 minutes, no commercials. You guys know what I want from NXT and from AEW. I want 20 to 25 minute main events. All right, I've said it plenty of times. But if you're gonna give me 17 with no commercials, I'm gonna forgive it. I, it's really tough to complain when you're gonna give me that much consecutive action where I don't have to worry about what's happening uh, when I can't see it or a picture in picture to hardly see it. I just, I, I like what they did there. So I gotta give them a lot of credit. Now, you know, what, what did we expect coming out of Io Shirai, Sasha Banks? We expected a great match, and I feel like that's what we got. But I also came into it assuming they did not want to give us the Io Shirai, Sasha Banks match, the one we're going to get one day at a pay-per-view or for a title or in a circumstance that you know they're both going to go at 100 miles per hour. They're just going to absolutely put the pedal to the metal and go all the way. I didn't feel they did that here. I kind of felt it was around 80%. But that's okay, because again, this was a non-title main event match on a TV show, and it wasn't really meant to be the ultimate Sasha Banks Io Shirai match. I do expect to get the ultimate Sasha Banks Asuka match coming up at Extreme Rules, but I did not expect that from this. Nevertheless, absolutely loved the shit out of this. Banks looked absolutely incredible entering the, the arena in a Jaguar with Ryu, that's her little dog, her Corgi, her husband and Bailey in that hysterical hat and the white pants wearing Sasha's jacket. 
all of them along for the ride. As Sasha Banks had the red, white, and blue gear, you could very easily see the, the blue background and the stars, and she had red stripes going up and down her body. Holy crap. I'm the legit boss. I'm the standard. I'm the blueprint. I am the leader, and I am the conversation. Yeah, she was. I mean, just walking out, she is all of those things. And then we get into the ring, and we have an absolutely fantastic match with two of the best women's wrestlers in the world and two of the best wrestlers in the world doing their damn thing. You saw athleticism, creativity, technical wrestling. Both of them ran the gamut uh, of their abilities in what was otherwise a very short match. And you got to give Io Shirai a lot of credit. She never slowed down once that entire time. She started that match at like 100 miles an hour and then almost had to come down to the 80 miles an hour that I was really talking about here for the majority of that match. Now, what about the finish? It was a schmoz finish, but it's exactly what I expected given the circumstances with Bailey interfering on Sasha's behalf and then Asuka evening the odds. I could be wrong, but I thought I said that when I was previewing this episode. I don't 100% remember, but I mean, at least in my head, that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. What was interesting was that they brought back the green mist from Asuka. I thought Asuka would kind of just pull a leg or get involved, distract the referee, something like that. Instead, they bring back the green mist. But I was really glad, and this is the difference again between NXT and WWE proper. They didn't end the match with the green mist. In WWE, green mist, roll up, one, two, three, everyone runs away, and that's your finish. Here, they utilize the green mist, but she kicked out when Io Shirai tried to roll her up. And then ends up face down. Io Shirai hits the moonsault for the one, two, three and gets the win and is able to, she doesn't retain her title, but gets the win. And as the champion continues to look strong, Sasha doesn't look very weak because she was blinded. She still took a finisher and she took the one, two, three. But the really smart part about this finish isn't just that. It's that as soon as the green mist hit Sasha Banks in the face, both of them, Sasha and Io, did everything they possibly could to in kayfabe ensure the referee did not see it. So Sasha took the moonsault face down. When she flipped over, her hair was over her face, and then Io Shirai put her leg over Sasha's face so the referee couldn't see the green mist. Those are some very, very smart details, and I do not put it past Io Shirai or Sasha Banks that they came up with exactly what to do given that circumstance so that match could come off as well as it possibly did. Holy crap. I mean, look, it was not a five-star match. It wasn't the women's match of the year, but I didn't expect it to be that. It delivered, in terms of a, a televised match, a main event, I couldn't have asked for anything better. Both of them completely delivered. It was just so joyful to get that match in the first place, for them to give us 17 minutes, unedited, no commercial breaks, and for there to be a really smart wrestling kayfabe type of finish that we could all enjoy. So I absolutely love that. Now, I know there's the criticism coming, and it's fair. You're really going to have Asuka spray, you know, saliva and mist on another woman's face, nose, mouth, eyes, in the midst of a global pandemic. I get it 1,000%. If this was three weeks ago, I would be railing them for this. The only thing I'm going to say is that because WWE is doing legitimate coronavirus tests, and because Asuka and Sasha Banks, one would assume to this point, have now taken two or three of them over a very short period of time, I have to believe that they took as many precautions as they possibly could in actually doing this spot as opposed to the precautions they would not have taken a couple weeks ago. So it doesn't make it good. It doesn't necessarily make it okay, but it makes it a lot better than it would have been. It was a really smart finish. I don't think that people should risk their health for the craft, which is wrestling, especially during these times. Coronavirus is a lot more dangerous than people actually perceive it to be. Um, but I will give this a, I don't want to give it an exception. I'll give it a nod into I understand and at least... They were tested and it was safer, not safe. That said, now we finish this match and where are we? We have Io Shirai and Asuka standing in the ring and we have Sasha Banks and Bailey standing outside the ring. And this match is not booked for Great American Bash Night 2. 
but it damn better be. Um, I don't know why they didn't just right at the end of the show announce it was going to be a tag team match, have Triple H come out, have William Regal get on the Titantron. Look, next week's card for the Great American Bash, it does have Adam Cole and Keith Lee in a champion versus champion main event. Great, awesome. But the rest of the card is kind of weak. I mean, it's very weak. It's not kind of weak, it's very weak. So unless they're going to give us Io Shirai versus Tegan Knox, we'll talk about that in a second, then this tag team match needs to be on that show. If they want to win, legitimately win the ratings war, head-to-head with AEW, you make Cole and Keith Lee the main event, and you make this tag team match the co-main event. You run them back-to-back, and you just win the final hour. The only other option is now that AEW is doing what they're doing with the John Moxley match, and we will talk about that a little bit later in the show, they could save this as the main event two weeks from now. I have not really calculated how that would work with Extreme Rules. I believe that would be on the go-home week to Extreme Rules. If they decide to go in that direction, then I think that would be very smart, and it gives them a huge main event to go head-to-head with what AEW is doing two weeks from now. So let's see what NXT does, um, but one way or another, they must give us this match, and it must be in one of the next two weeks. And because I was going to use this during the segment, which was the original plan, and I just happened to forget because I got so into Io Shirai uh, versus Sasha Banks. Let me just use the sound drop that I was going to use. That's the most action I've had all year. Absolutely. Fatal four-way elimination match opened the show. Tegan Knox defeated Dakota Kai, who defeated Mia Yim, who defeated Candice LeRae to become the number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship. Now, I know for a fact I suggested that this open the show for NXT And I also suggested that AEW open its show with the TNT title match. AEW did not listen. NXT did. And I'm very happy they did. It was a great idea to make this an elimination match and no interference because it kept everything in the ring and you knew there would not be a bullshit payoff. It was the right decision to give us Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox as the final two. That's the feud that you want to see finish the match. They knew that as bookers. And they gave it to us as fans. And you always have to appreciate when they pay off what you want to see. Sometimes Mia Yim lacks that extra gear. But I thought her sequence mid-match with the Tope Suicidas and the Near Falls was pretty solid. It's just that she as a wrestler is a little bit slower and more mechanical than the other women. If you saw the other three as a triple threat, I think many of you would have enjoyed the match a little bit more than you otherwise did, at least based on comments that I saw. Me personally, I very much enjoyed the match. And like I said, I did think it was a good way to start the show. Uh, Knox, that follow-away slam pinning combination. I'm not sure I've seen that before. Very cool. And then she finishes with the Molly Go-Round and the Shiniest Wizard to get the win. Tegan Knox looked absolutely fantastic here. And it was definitely the right call to have her win if Io Shirai is indeed going to be more on the heel end of her character for the NXT title feud. Now, there was certainly the option to have Dakota Kai win this, and they can still make this a triple threat with Dakota Kai maybe causing an interference when Tegan does get her title match, or Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez brutalizing and, and you know forcing her into a situation where she has to defend her number one contendership, something like that. I could see this be a triple threat between Kai, Knox, and Io Shirai. I just don't know exactly what direction they're going to go, but they could have gone with Kai just straight up winning. I think because there was no interference And because it was an elimination match, it was a really good opportunity for NXT to put over Tegan Knox, which is something they've actually needed to do. Whereas Kai has gotten over already and she does have the muscle in Big Mommy Cool to kind of help her elevate herself every single time she's on television. So Knox needed it more. Therefore, I was happy that was the win. And now we're getting Candice LeRae versus Mia Yim in a street fight next week. And as a culmination to their feud, I guess it's okay. But to have that be a match on Great American Bash when you're trying to compete, it just doesn't seem like something that is going to put butts in seats and is going to win the quarter hour. There's some other things that will. One of them that I think might have, potentially, Johnny Gargano versus Swerve. Holy crap. I mean, they started interacting backstage. We saw some personality from Swerve, which we've only got kind of gotten taste of previously. And when I say personality, I mean aggressiveness because we have heard him speak on the mic before. Gargano just mixing it up with someone new a fresh face, even Finn Balor and Gargano. It was something 
that we've seen Balor wrestle so many matches at this point in WWE. Swerve is still new. So to see Gargano and Swerve was just refreshing and it was cool. I don't really know why Swerve had Mia Yim's back in particular. I know that Keith Lee is otherwise busy next week, so he couldn't be there. But nevertheless, despite that, you know, uh, the, the suspension of logic there, I enjoyed Gargano and Swerve mixing it up. And I am curious to see if they give us that match next week or if they maybe put it off for a couple weeks um, because now NXT may need to be booking three weeks instead of just two. Again, something we will get to in a moment. Next up was Timothy Thatcher defeating Oni Lorcan. And I don't really have much analysis to do because it was a technical match. It was catch wrestling. You know, um, it was brutal, technical. It made Thatcher look great when he went psychotic with the Fujiwara armbar for the finish. And then he looked sadistic post-match, extending it, getting, you know, even more uh, momentum on it. Uh, he just, he looked really good. The problem with Thatcher, and I've said it before, is where's the ceiling? I don't think it's very high. Can he do other things besides this kind of catch wrestling technical gimmick? Is he going to show some personality besides just being a guy who can scream and yell and, and be technical? I don't know. But it kind of just says mid-carder to me. I don't think that's a bad thing. There's a lot of people who are only mid-carders. But even within NXT as it stands now being the most technical of WWE's three shows. I don't exactly know where Thatcher fits. He actually seems like someone who might be a better fit in NWA whenever they start back up again than NXT. But I do like what he's done so far. And yeah, every single time I've kind of wondered, well, is Thatcher really going to deliver? He's ultimately delivered. So I, I think it's totally fair for me to not criticize too much, sit back and just say, I'm waiting to see what you give us. One touch I really did love in this match was that Thatcher was wearing blue trunks and Oni Lurkin was wearing red trunks. Just classic professional wrestling. One guy in blue, one guy in red. Sometimes there was a black or a white mixed in, but you get what I'm what I'm saying here. Uh, the classic plain trunks, I just thought that really kind of set the match over the top in terms of the aesthetic of it. Uh, Rhea Ripley defeated Aaliyah and Robert Stone in that handicap match where if Ripley lost, she would have had to join the Robert Stone brand. This is an interesting piece of booking to me because... Again, just like I mentioned earlier with the Green Mist, this is an example of how NXT books compared with WWE. Even if WWE main roster was going to have Rhea Ripley win, this thing would have been an absolute joke fest. Instead, they let Ripley be dominant the entire time, save for when Aaliyah kind of caught her off guard while she was chasing Robert Stone, you know, hit her head down, threw her into the steps. It allowed the heels in the match to actually see a little bit of offense and kind of deal with a wobbly, you know, semi-injured Ripley. But ultimately she, you know, shook her head off, you know, got got back to her normal mental state and absolutely brutalized both of them, got a double submission victory while basically brushing off any offense or any attempts to get out that they gave us. You saw Robert Stone tap in a second and then you saw Aaliyah tap in five seconds. And I just thought that Ripley came out of it not looking weaker, maybe not looking stronger, but maybe finding something in herself that she had not had recently in kayfabe after losing a couple of feuds. Ultimately, did I have fun watching this match? Yes, I had fun watching Rhea Ripley against Aaliyah and Robert Stone. So that's two thumbs up. That's a victory for me. Now, next up, we have the strap match. Dexter Loomis defeating Roderick Strong. Absolutely loved the introduction to this match where you think it's kind of a vignette or a video package to kind of tell you what mental state Roderick Strong is going through right now. And instead, it completely pans into live. And you see Strong sitting there a moment before his music hits, trying to get in the right frame of mind to walk to the ring. That's just really smart. And that's some stuff that NXT does really well. Uh, there were times, though, in this match where it did struggle to hold my attention, which really should not be the case in a strap match. When you have a gimmick like that, the strap... Uh, the brutality of it, the unique things that you can do. And they did get unique in the finish and at times during the match, but it should never really lose your attention. And I did feel like my attention was lost here. I don't know if it was because of Dexter Loomis and the methodical nature of the way he worked, if it's because he was working with Roderick Strong, who is not overly flamboyant and is he's a really good wrestler and he's certainly extremely talented and I like him. But I, maybe the mix of these two just didn't work for me in a major way. I still found the match enjoyable. Ultimately, it was the right booking in the finish. And I liked the work that they did outside. Using the car trunk was a nice touch. And Loomis being able to, being able to overcome 
both Bobby Fish's interference and Roderick Strong, you know, kind of trying to trying to attack him on the back end, winning via silence his uh, submission finisher. It was the right booking in the end, but there just seemed to be something missing here, and I don't really know what it was. I do enjoy Dexter Loomis. I know people do criticize him, and they don't like him. Uh, they don't like the storyline. A lot of people. I like it. I don't really have much of an issue with it, but you know, I would be lying if I if I said that it wasn't missing something. And it kind of was maybe the down moment in the show. I expected the down moment in the show to be the Ripley match or potentially the Thatcher and Lorcan match. Instead, it was this, and it never should have been this. It shouldn't be this with Loomis, and it shouldn't be this with Roderick Strong. And the only other thing we really saw to talk about coming out of NXT was Santos Escobar, again, just absolutely rocked the mic. The promo was solid. And I think the long term for Escobar and Legado de Fantasma absolutely will work. But this match they have booked for next week, yikes. Just not for me. Zero point zero. Drake Maverick continuing on with Escobar makes sense. But just for Brizango to randomly run out there and have his back and now have this be a six-man tag team match next week, there's no build at all for Brizango being involved. It doesn't make much sense. I don't, I've said it before individually. Those guys are talented. I don't really like Brizango as a gimmick. You had Jake Atlas. You maybe had Kushida. What I would have done is had other people in the cruiserweight tournament that Escobar had to fight and deal with have Drake Mavericks back. And now all of a sudden you're talking about a six-man cruiserweight match with Kushida, Escobar, Maverick. Now you have a headlining match that people want to see. Instead, just kind of throwing Brizango in there I just don't think it's going to work. And that is ultimately what I think about Great American Bash week two. Right now, I think there's four matches on the card. Plus, they announced the in-ring debut of Mercedes Martinez, who's already worked, by the way, in NXT previously and certainly was in the Mae Young Classics. And really, the only match I actually really to a high level care about is Keith Lee versus Adam Cole. This week, there were three or four matches I actually cared about. So that's kind of why I feel they may need to do something with the women in terms of Asuka and Io Shirai, Sasha Banks and Bailey, or they may need to come up with some other type of booking this week to give us a co-main event because I think NXT was extremely strong this week. I believe there was a very good chance that NXT for the second week in a row, we'll talk about that at the end of the show, second week in a row won the head wins the head-to-head battle ratings-wise. I don't know if it will, but next week, right now, I don't see any way that AEW loses the head-to-head and maybe despite the main event, I do think that the main event for NXT next week, Cole and uh, Lee, that will win the quarter hour. But other than that, I just don't really see what NXT has to offer that's better than what AEW is going to be offering us next week. Now, before I move on to AEW, I did have a number of DMs come in. Most of them I already am covering in the show, but there is something I wanted to read and kind of react to a little bit. And it's from the Jeremy Smith Show at Jeremy Smith Show. He wrote a very long DM. I'm going to try to paraphrase it as best I can. He said, like me, he's an NXT guy. He enjoys the brand, the presentation, the in-ring product, but he's seeing two problems. NXT has a dearth of star power at the moment. Keith Lee is tremendous, uh, but it's too hard to suspend disbelief when he's going against much smaller guys. Uh, Cross maybe will get there, but he thinks Gargano, Cole, and Ciampa are all tapped out, and it seems like they've hit pause on Balor until they can finish the Walter storyline. Problem two, he said, is COVID-19 plus AEW plus all the other organizations have made it tougher for NXT to sign the big independent free agents that they cycle through the system. Uh, And the solution seems simple. Why not legitimately mix up the roster, cycle people through in seasons, you know, so on and so forth. So it's a really good point. Um, I don't necessarily think NXT lacks star power. Yes, at times they did have Shinsuke and Finn Balor and Samoa Joe and Kevin Owens. But that was a generation ago in terms of NXT. And Gargano, Champa, Cole, these guys have all been atop NXT for a very long time. I think the bigger issue is that it's stale. Adam Cole being champion for over a year, defeating every single person he's fought against, including before we knew about any allegations, or, or while they were unsubstantiated or, or, or not, not to a point where WWE felt they may have to act on them, defeating Velveteen Dream, who everyone thought might win the title, Keith Lee not getting the title previously, other challengers who we thought may be able to kind of step up in there, not actually winning. Um, 
And Cole ha- being this dominant as the champion, Undisputed Era being on top for this long, it has made the product a little bit stale. And Gargano and Champa, their feud never actually being able to end due to injury, due to coronavirus, due to all these things that made the main event card on NXT stale. But this is where I'm going to disagree with you, Jeremy, because I feel like they're starting to turn it around. They're literally in the process of elevating Keith Lee, elevating Karrion Cross, and getting other people opportunities to kind of start moving into that picture. So I do agree, though, that there needs to be some type of mix of talent. And it's something we've talked about dating back years, really, to the former show I was on. Triple H says people will go up and down in NXT in the main roster, and it really just doesn't happen. We do see people go to NXT. We've seen Finn Balor do it. We certainly saw Brizango do it. But we never really see a a consistent flow where, like he mentioned, Jeremy Smith mentioned, I didn't read it, Cesaro, right? Right now he's in a decent spot. He's working with Nakamura, Sami Zayn when he comes back, presumably will be working with them again. The Artist Collective, it makes sense. But if you pulled him out of it, would SmackDown really miss Cesaro? No. What would NXT gain with Cesaro? A shit ton. And Cesaro could be, would, would be a main eventer in NXT and could legitimately win the title and use that to put a younger star over who eventually beats him. So I do think that WWE does need to consider doing that. I don't know if during this current empty arena era is the right time because there is a lot of major talent on both shows who either is not around or is not going to be around. Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens, at least for the short term, Sami Zayn, some women, other people. So Right now is not the time to do that, but once everything kicks back into gear and once shows are running again, yes, they do need to freshen up the NXT roster. That includes elevating young people, giving them opportunities in the main event scene, possibly taking, I know Champa won't leave NXT, but maybe taking Gargano and trading him with someone on Raw for a season and then flipping them back after the fact. They're going to have to do a couple things to freshen up NXT. Um, I don't find it as stale now as it was about six months ago, but Something will need to be done at some point. You are correct about that. Now, moving on to AEW Fighter Fest. I want to only talk about Fighter Fest. Unfortunately, AEW's booking does not give me the opportunity to start this segment with a singular big match or moment. And why? Because they did something else. AEW decided on Wednesday night that they wanted to start taking pot shots and start needling and poking WWE. We're in a ratings war, ladies and gentlemen. We are in a ratings war, ladies and gentlemen. But is it the smartest thing to say that in your first segment, five minutes into the show? Then to follow that up, Cody comes out wearing a great American Bash style logo t-shirt. And then you have Taz coming out and calling out WWE for its coronavirus testing. I found the first two fun. MJF a little bit tongue-in-cheek, talking about a ratings war, justifying that being the reason that he starts and opens the show, despite that being the wrong match to open the show, as I mentioned. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, Cody wearing a Great American Bash shirt. Look, hey, Dusty created the Great American Bash, and the logo that Cody was wearing is the logo that Dusty oversaw for for its great run. So also tongue-in-cheek, kind of cool. But when you take those on their own, you can accept them. Then you bring in Taz doing a promo in the ring saying, we don't run a sloppy shop. And I notice in my head, you know, that's three different pokes at WWE and NXT in a single episode of AEW. And that's not to mention a couple others that they've done along the way. NXT doesn't talk. NXT doesn't say anything. It acts. It counter-programs. And I think what we saw Wednesday is that it's actually affecting AEW. We know it affects Cody. We know that WWE and NXT is in Cody's head. Now, I don't know about the other things. If MJF or Taz were told to do that by Tony Khan, they did it on their own volition. I'm not exactly sure. But it's either affecting Tony or it's affecting the roster. Now, before I continue, I did love that Taz basically said that John Moxley wasn't there because he had the chicken shits. I don't think I've ever heard someone use that phrase in that way. Really cool, very Taz, uh, just top tier there. But as a wise man once said, going back to all the little shots that AEW took at NXT, 
and it wasn't actually a wise man, it was a couple of wise men. Son, they shook, because ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Ultimately, what AEW accomplished here is to have the most talked about thing from the first night of Fighter Fest be the things they said to poke and provoke WWE and NXT. And if I'm being honest, which you know I always am, and I tell you enough, that's worse than NXT simply counter-programming Fighter Fest in the first place. So now what's the fallout? We have Moxley versus Cage at Fight for the Fallen in two weeks, which isn't really counter-programming, but it is AEW kind of thumbing its nose at WWE by just running another event the week following Fighter Fest, almost as if to say, all right, what are you going to call it in two weeks now? Because you definitely didn't prepare for this. Uh, I'm glad they're raising money for COVID-19 relief. But I mean, they already threw it in our face once telling us that the cons have given a million dollars. I can't wait to find out how many times they mention it during Fight for the Fallen. If you guys remember, Fight for the Fallen last year when they did it was an absolute mess. That final segment with the check in the ring was terrible. Let's see in two weeks if they learned their lesson from how Fight for the Fallen went last year. But I did find it interesting that rather than just have Moxley versus Cage as the main event of Dynamite in a couple weeks, they are now calling it Fight for the Fallen and almost using the fact that Moxley almost has coronavirus as a reason to do a charity event to raise money for coronavirus. I don't really know how to express how I feel about that and actually convey my proper opinion, but it is unique to say the least. Now, before we also move on to the matches and what else, what else actually happened on the show, I've said it before that Chris Jericho on commentary as Chris Jericho is fantastic. We saw that the first few weeks that AEW was in Daly's place. He provided some of his wrestling knowledge. There was a nice back and forth that he had. I believe it was with Tony Schiavone. And it felt like an ingrained part of the broadcast. But Jericho being on commentary as a total complaining heel, it's grating and annoying. And it actually hurts my viewing experience because I like the team of JR, Tony, and Excalibur. And I enjoy when they call matches, they give you moves, they give you backstory. Jericho just complaining about everything that every face did, especially with two inner circle matches on that card. It just like, it really kept taking me out of what I was watching. It was loud. He was extremely loud. I don't know if his mic volume was up too much or, or whatever was happening. It made the broadcast less enjoyable. And again, this is coming from someone who absolutely loves Chris Jericho. What I did like from Jericho though, is I forgot if it was Tony or Excalibur. One of them used the word grit in conversation and Jericho immediately popped in and said, he's been hearing grit too much in 2020. What is it, a new word or something? He never heard it before this year. Got a legitimate LOL for me. I did laugh out loud when he said that. Okay, so that is my overall thoughts on, I guess, the bigger stuff from Fighter Fest, which again is disappointing because I wanna talk about the matches, not them taking shots at another organization. Yes, MJF, I know. We're in a ratings war, ladies and gentlemen. But to this point, it's been pretty good with both companies operating on their own and not trying to throw it in our face. And like I said, it feels like AEW's a little shook here that they actually got bothered by WWE going with this Great American Bash moniker and kind of outbooking them in terms of night one. I don't think that will be the case in night two next week. But so far, it does seem like they're pretty annoyed. And I and I'm not saying that they shouldn't be annoyed, but I don't know that you need to broadcast that to, to the 600 to 800,000 people that watch your show every week. Okay, the main event, AEW Tag Team Championships, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defending their titles against best friends. This was an enjoyable match from start to finish with the right booking for Omega and Page to win the titles, but it felt as if it never really hit a second gear the way the women's match did in the show, and I'm gonna talk about that later. I loved that match. Now, I did absolutely pop, as I know every single person listening to this podcast and every single person who watched that show did when Trent's mom drove them out basically to the ring in a white minivan and then kissed him on the cheek and you know told him to go have fun. It would have been really funny if she gave him like Gatorade and some carrots or something like that or orange slices just on top of it. But that was, it was just hysterical. And there was a funny parallel, if you noticed it, um, between AEW and NXT that in the main event, at the exact same time, you had Sasha Banks coming out in a white Jaguar with Ryu, and then you had Trent coming out in a white minivan with his mom. So the question of the night for me is, who won the night, Ryu or Trent's mom? 
And I kind of have to give the edge to Trent's mom, who did a really good job in her very short role. So just kudos, man. That was awesome. Really funny. And I think that moment, more than any before, kind of gave me the knowledge and insight into what the best friends team either is that, I, that I've missed or what it should be, which is these guys being like best friends from middle school or high school, just going out there and having great matches, fun-loving type of dudes. That's such a good gimmick. And if I didn't get that before, that's on me. But if they haven't really gone to that level before, then they need to incorporate that. Them coming up in a minivan or, or taking their dad's car or incorporating the mom a little bit more. I mean, she saw she drove all that way to see her son lose. She has to be disappointed. She has to want to come back to see him win. So I just loved it, man. I, I popped for it. It was really cool. Uh, Paige getting the clean win by himself was a good idea, but it felt weird that there was animosity after the match, considering they're considering they won, and there were no issues during the bout itself. FTR comes out with beer, and then gets mad because Omega doesn't drink, even though he's straight edge and notoriously does not drink. And then Paige gets mad, even though he knows Omega doesn't drink because they've been doing vignettes and and segments with both of them where. Omega's drinking milk and Paige drinks beer. So to me, that was stupid. And I don't think you can make the argument that FTR was dumb to the fact that Omega doesn't drink beer because the one thing that they talk about all the time is they're wrestling savants and they follow the industry. They know everything about every team. They were there scouting the match with a cooler. So that's not a good excuse. Now you could say maybe it was purposeful to create some animosity in the elite. I would buy that. But then that still doesn't explain why Hangman Page, who is sober... He's only had two sips of beer at this point. Why he would get mad at his tag team partner for dumping out a beer when he knows he doesn't drink. I mean, Kenny cheers with them. He toasted with them, basically. He thought for a second about drinking, decided not to put it down. So I don't know. I had a problem with it. You know, people want to criticize like the WWE stuff with Jeff Hardy. And I think some people criticize the Hangman Page angle, though a lot fewer people do that. I kind of want to criticize this. I didn't think it was a good spot to kind of say to someone, you should be drinking and because you're not, everyone's going to get mad at you. That just didn't work for me. So really good match, enjoyable. The Trent's mom stuff was great. But the final note on which I went out with AEW on Wednesday, I just didn't really like it. And uh, I just didn't think it was necessary. Maybe they'll pay it off in a way that I'm not expecting, but I just didn't like it. Uh, Jurassic Express defeats MJF and Warlow to open the show. And this match, I just, look, there's a lot of stuff I'm going to praise about AEW. I promise you, coming up, Three praises in a row, but the wrong team won this match, and I don't like the tease of a split so early in the relationship between MJF and Wardlow when MJF has not even gotten a legitimate title match with Wardlow as his second at this point. It just seems like they're rushing to a potential split with those two. MJF does and did gain something by adding Wardlow, and Jurassic Express didn't need that win at all. I mean, they just didn't. Like, the entire expectation there should have been for MJF and Wardlow to go over, keep being dominant heels, win via some type of BS, and then just keep moving on and demanding title matches and maybe demanding a tag team title match after that. It just, it just didn't work for me. MJF's robe, by the way, was straight up the ugliest thing I think I've ever seen on wrestling TV. Who wears bright pink, green, and Burberry print? They could have made that robe in so many other ways to make it look good, they just picked, they must have like gone into a linen store, like Joanne Fabrics or Michaels or something, and just picked the worst combination of fabrics to make that robe out of. It was so damn ugly. I did love what Wardlow did on the ramp during that match. Very similar to Raquel Gonzalez in NXT a week ago when he kicked Jungle Boy off the ramp and then threw Marco's stunt onto him. He did the whole thing while holding Marco's stunt. He looked like a total badass the same way Raquel Gonzalez did. That was massive and it kind of told me Hey man, Wardlow might have it. I didn't think Jungle Express gained much from the Schmaz type of win, as I said. MJF and Wardlow got dinged by the loss. Just bad booking to me. And like I said, also the wrong match to start the show. Uh, now the women's title match, Hikaru Shida defending against Penelope Ford. I loved, loved this match from start to finish. Obviously the right booking, having Shida win. First dispatching Kip Sabian with the kendo stick and then taking down Penelope Ford. Penelope Ford impressed me back when I saw her in Evolve when she was with Joey Janela, and she's benefited the most out of anyone in AEW right now 
from the injuries and absences in AEW's women's division. I think this was one of the top two or three AEW women's matches to date, which by the way, says a lot about the division and type of matches they've put on to this point. But this is up there with one of my favorites. And Sheeta is a total breath of fresh air, both in AEW women's wrestling and women's wrestling in general. WWE has a lot of talented women's wrestlers who Kakaru Shida would be near their top if she flipped over or was working in NXT or something like that. That is how good she is. Uh, so Ford getting the elevation, being able to work a match of that quality with Hukaru Shida was great. Shida retaining the title and getting the win was great. This was an absolute home run. Very, very happy with the booking of this match and how it went down. There are some people who said that they liked this more than Io Shirai and Sasha Banks. I'm not going to go that far, but it was very close. Like I said, if that was like an 8 out of 10, this was probably like a 7 or a 7.5 out of 10. Both very damn good women's matches to get one on each show. Just two thumbs up. Very, very happy with what I saw. Now, the TNT title match, Cody defending against Jake Hager. This is the match that should have opened Fighter Fest. I have no idea why this did not open the show. Look, I'm not saying that anyone from AEW listens to this podcast. I probably doubt they do. But if they do, I gave it to you last week on a silver platter. I told you what NXT was going to do. You needed to open with this and you probably would have won the quarter hour. Instead, that women's fatal four-way going up against MJF calling it a ratings war. I'll tell you right now, if the women on NXT beat MJF in the quarter hour to open this ratings war, you know, uh, Great American Bash versus Fighter Fest, that's going to make it even more hysterical that he did that promo to open the show. Okay, back to the TNT title match. Cody defending and defeating Jake Hager. As I said, they should have opened the show with it. This was easily, easily by a mile, Hager's best match thus far in AEW. Cody did that top rope springboard cutter. It was dope. He carried Hager in this match, which was refreshing to see. I don't really expect Cody to carry someone of Hager's experience level in a match like this, but I felt the entire time it was Cody doing great work, Hager kind of tagging along a little bit, using his power, looking dominant when it was appropriate. I just, I did like this match a lot and I thought they booked it very well. As far as the finish, I cannot like on one hand the schmas in Io Shirai versus Sasha Banks and then come on crap on this one. But I would have liked this one less if Cody needed the win. Instead, Cody didn't need the win. He's been pretty dominant this far as TNT champion. So this worked for what it was. Hager has basically lost every major match he's been in at this point. So for him to kind of lose by a roll-up thinking he was getting a submission victory, then punching the ref, it fits within his character, made sense for Cody, made sense for Hager, and I'm totally cool with it. The one huge, huge surprise is that Cody didn't blade in this match. Zero color. Like, since when does that happen? I don't know if they're taking actual criticisms to heart and understanding that people don't want to see color just because of color. You know, it should really use it when it makes sense. And obviously, like I said, every big match that Cody's ever been in, he's drawn color. Uh, So I was glad it wasn't here. It was a nice change of pace. And like I said, really good match top to bottom. I did not think I would be saying this about a Cody-Jake Hager match, but I enjoyed it. And if you kind of... I don't think this one head-to-head with the strap match, but if it did, this was the better match between the two easily over the strap match in NXT. And then uh, to kind of wrap this up, we had Private Party defeat Santana and Ortiz in an entertaining match that showcased both teams and actually utilized tag team rules properly, unlike the match that opened the show where MJF Wardlow, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus, they went like six minutes, it felt, without a tag, and they all factored into the finish. Very sloppy there, very good in this match, Private Party against Santana and Ortiz. I always like the finish when a tag team partner dives to break up the pin right at the final count, but it's just short and it kind of tells you, man, that was a lot closer than the result indicates. So I always think that's really smart. It's a good way to show that a team like Private Party got a win at the skin of their teeth against Santana and Ortiz. But then suddenly they announced that Private Party is now the number one contenders And they're going to face Kenny Omega and Hangman Page for the titles. And I don't mind necessarily them being the number one contenders because Santana and Ortiz are a great team. But why not announce this was a number one contendership match before the match was held? And by the way, they're now like the fourth or fifth number one contenders for the AEW tag team titles in a month. 
So you got to stop with the number one contender shit. You, you got you got to kind of figure out the way you want to book this division. It seems very haphazard. Doesn't make a lot of sense. We do need Hangman and Kenny Omega to drop the titles. There's an inevitable feud between them. There's the inevitable Kenny Omega singles run that badly needs to happen sooner than later. Maybe they will ultimately drop the titles to Private Party with Matt Hardy coaching them. I'm not exactly sure, uh, but I am kind of curious to see what happens now that there is another number one contendership and Omega and Page have won another match. So we do have one more DM on this show, Chad Placinka at I Don't Exaggerate. He writes in that NXT is the clear winner tonight despite the lack of long-term booking for the Great American Bash. AEW unnecessarily had all of its faces go over and it felt like a regular Wednesday night episode. Taz's promo was the highlight of the show. Finally, a question. Is AEW succeeding or failing in terms of them claiming to put tag team wrestling back on the map? Because what they are doing isn't really tag team wrestling, but it is still sometimes pretty good. It's a good question, and it kind of fits into what I was talking about here. It is tag team wrestling. Um, I don't like the suspension of rules in certain circumstances. And I've said it, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. AEW can kind of just come out and say, look, our tag matches are tornado rules. That's the type of division we're going to have. If they don't want to do that, they need to follow the rules. I think in the title matches, they've done a very good job following the rules. In some of the other matches, depending on the referees, they don't. It is shocking to me that it is still an issue where a week or two ago, I was praising AEW for having fixed this. And then we got this show where it just got sloppy again, and it was pretty disappointing. So, you know, putting aside the rules though, yes, they are putting tag team wrestling back on the map. They have the best tag team division for any wrestling company in the world right now, especially when you consider that you have Hangman Page and Kenny Omega as a team and Phoenix and Pentagon as a team. I don't think either of them ultimately need to be teams in the long run. They could all four be single stars, and I think they will all at different points be single stars in AEW. But when you take them into account, plus FTR, the Young Bucks, Santana, Ortiz, if you stopped there, they have the best tag team division. Then you add the private parties. I do think Lucha Express, pretty good. Um, Butcher and Blade isn't really for me. But there are some other teams there. And you have the best friends, I, I failed to mention, you have a very, very strong tag team division. So I was glad the tag team match main evented, just like I kind of asked and expected them to. But it didn't really feel like a main event tag team match. It was a main event night one tag team match. And that's ultimately what it was. If you want tag team wrestling to main event pay-per-views, then it needs to be like that Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Hangman Page match, and not like this one, and certainly not like that Young Bucks, Phoenix Pentagon match, which was a total joke of tag team wrestling. I talked about it. Those those two teams are so damn good. I was so disappointed by that ladder match or whatever the hell extreme rules type of match that they had. So uh, no. So to answer your question, they are succeeding, but not succeeding to the level that they could be. They're probably hitting an eight out of 10. I'm using that a lot on this show, but they're probably hitting an eight out of 10 in terms of bringing tag team wrestling back. But they have all the horses and all the ability to do 10 out of 10 and make tag team wrestling true main event wrestling. I think they're doing a very good job with the tag team division. Before we move on and talk about what's coming up this week in WWE, I did want to talk briefly about COVID-19 and AEW. And I saved it for the end of the show because I didn't want it to overshadow anything else that's happening. So after all the heming and hawing about WWE not testing, and they deserved every ounce of criticism they got from me and from everyone else. Now what you have is WWE testing for the active coronavirus and requiring masks for the audience. AEW is still just doing antibody testing for coronavirus, but even worse than that, at least for me, not requiring masks. And it actually had a limited audience in that show, and you've seen it multiple weeks. There were about 40 people in the crowd, and none of them were wearing masks, and none of them even got the coronavirus antibody test. I, I know the crowd's far away from the ring, and I know it's an outdoor venue. Those are decent things. But just like WWE always had the ability to do active COVID testing, and just like they always had the ability to require masks of their talent, and I criticize them for it, AEW, you do the testing that you feel is necessary, but especially now, especially what's going on in Florida, you need to be requiring masks of people in the ringside area. It doesn't matter if they're young. It doesn't matter if they're old. You can transfer it asymptomatically. 
be smart. And it's going to be one more opportunity for me to tell all of you, I'm sacrificing a lot personally. I feel staying at home basically every day. I've barely left my house in over 110 days. I've picked up a couple of food items. I've gone to a couple of breweries to bring stuff home. Aside from that, I haven't really done much. I'm not seeing friends, not going to the movies, not going to bars. I feel like my sacrifice week to week is almost being wasted because no one else is doing the same. So the least I think that AEW can do and the least that WWE could have done, I'm very happy that they're doing it now, even though it took an outbreak for it to happen. Wear a damn mask, protect your fellow man and woman. Okay, what is up next in the world of professional wrestling? SmackDown on Friday night. It looks like we're gonna have that Intercontinental Championship match, AJ Styles defending against Drew Gulak. Excited to see that actual match. I don't anticipate any outcome other than AJ Styles retaining. We have Sheamus holding the toast of Jeff Hardy. He was supposed to hold last week. Not exactly sure where that's gonna go. I think everyone knows we're headed towards a match at Extreme Rules. I'm very curious what the stipulation is going to be. And I really hope they don't do something where if Jeff Hardy loses, he has to take a drink or something. That would be very bad. Just give me a straight up Extreme Rules match. Let Jeff Hardy win, call it a day. Matt Riddle is gonna have an in-ring bro down with Michael Cole. I just kind of kind of found that advertising funny. And if Riddle can pop me with Cole, you know, I can find that enjoyable. I certainly expect Baron Corbin to interfere there. And we should expect something else to come from Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, this rivalry. I don't exactly know what they're going to do. Maybe they will set a blow-off match at Extreme Rules. As far as Raw is concerned, nothing formally announced at this time, at least not that I can remember. There's still plenty of developments to come from last week, namely with Dolph choosing a stipulation where the United States title feud is going to go. Uh, if Asuka is going to get any further retribution on Sasha Banks, if Io Shirai might make a surprise appearance on Raw. I don't exactly know what they're going to do on Raw, but I am curious to find out. But that's today's show, breaking down everything that went down in the Wednesday Night Wars. Folks, incredible Wednesday night of professional wrestling. I am very excited to see what they give us next week. Now, I'm not going to preview those shows yet. I still kind of think AEW and NXT may make some minor tweaks to their respective cards. So don't forget to join us on Tuesday where we will break down everything that happens in the world of WWE SmackDown and Raw recapped every Tuesday here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And at the end of that show, the final five or 10 minutes of that show, we will preview AEW Fighter Fest Night 2 and Great American Bash Night 2. As I said at the open of the show, I greatly appreciate everyone who has contributed to the equipment and, and the, the fees that I need to pay and everything that I need to do to not just get getting over off the ground, but really take it to that next level as a high quality professional wrestling podcast. I can tell you there are some big time interview requests in the works. I really hope to deliver them. And please remember, if you donated $10 or more, either DM me on Twitter at gettingovercast or send an email to gettingoverpod at gmail.com. Tell me your name. Tell me how much you donated. I need to keep track of it. That way I can get everyone invites to the chat room that we're going to do. I don't know exactly when we're going to do it. I'll figure it out. If anyone has a suggestion on when we should do the chat, I will take that as well. But I'm also going to be take, taking suggestions. I think it was everyone who donated $20 or more for special segments you want to see on the show and maybe even pay-per-view rewinds. So I'm excited that all of you donated. I'm excited to go shopping and buy all of this stuff that I very much have needed for a long time for getting over. Like I said, I already have one item on the way. Remember to follow us at Getting Overcast on Twitter. You can follow me personally at Silverstein Adam. And yeah, okay, I'm going to throw it in. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, five-star rating and review. You guys have been so generous this week. Truly touching, like I said, absolutely floored. I appreciate it. I'm sure Chris Vanini appreciates it. You'll hear from him on Tuesday when we talk WWE. And you know there's one other person who appreciates it too. Elizabeth, come on out. Oh, we got something going that's oh, really big. Yeah. Look in the video school right now and tell him about Macho Madness. Tell him how strong it is and tell him where we're going. Yeah. We into the twilight zone. Yeah. And how cold has got no chance this. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man Anderson? And none of the greatest wrestling past, present, and future that ever lived. Okay, let's say goodbye. Say goodbye. Okay, get out of here. Yeah, but it is.
is rough, the wrestling is a rough sport, and I'm the roughest one in the sport, and I am the big one wrestler in the world today. And thank you all for listening. I will see you Tuesday. Bye for now.